0: You have your Bible today, if you'll take it and turn with me to the Old Testament. We're going to be camping out there for a little while in the Old Testament this summer. We're going to be going through the book of Ezra. Uh, we really like to go through books of the Bible during the summer as our families are in and, in and out. It's easy to stay on course and and to uh, uh, stay on track with where we are and, and what we're doing and keep up with it. Also, I want to remind you that if you're out, you can Go on and view our live stream and stay current with this sermon series. Uh, you can either watch it live, or it's there; it'll be archived for you during the week. You can pick that up. Um, if did you get your uh, sermon note handout? Did you get your little cards. Uh, all right, who needs a little note-taking card there this morning? All right, okay. Few, brother Tyron, I'll bring you one. We thankful for what the Lord is doing in the life of our family, also in the life of Baptist Temple, as we've been praying about what their future is and our future and what God's up to. What a great move of God we had there last week, uh, moving at the altar and what God was doing in a tremendous way. And So as you continue to pray for that, I believe that these are the days that God is stirring up a new work and doing some new things in hearts and lives. In the book of Ezra, uh, it's such an interesting book. Give me just a few moments here. Uh, to speak to you on that uh, and what God is doing uh, in our hearts and lives. It's so interesting in a unique way. The book of Ezra, man, when you look at it, um, it actually overshadowed, takes into it five other books of the Bible. In other words, the book of Ezra, the book of Nehemiah took place during the book of Ezra, the book of Haggai uh some of malachi took place during that time of ezra also <coughs> the book of uh Zechariah and uh the book of esther also takes place in the middle of the book of ezra it's not to mention other books of the bible where it's connected but all of those books took place during the time of the book of ezra uh originally in the in the uh, hebrew bible uh Ezra and Nehemiah were one book, and uh, when it was placed in our canon, it was separated in the chronology as two separate books. Um, It's interesting because Daniel was, part of Daniel was included, Isaiah was included. Uh, It's just a power-packed book that would probably take us a whole year to fully go through it. But today we want to look at what it means in the book of Ezra. What is it up to? The theme for this is restore. Because we want God to restore. The book of Ezra was about restoration. Restoration led to revival. Revival is the one thing that we're longing for. It's the one thing that we struggle with really the most, I personally and Pastor Ralph, because the term revival is so watered down it carries such low expectation that i'm almost scared to use it because i feel like you would kneecap it before you start you may remember brother bob back in the day when they had revivals it lasted 2 weeks and if it kept going it may go 3 weeks and they lasted for a spell they lasted for a time then they were reduced down to 1 week and and uh, i grew up in the 1 week uh, time of revival and what was happening in that one week period. Uh, then, in my ministry, it's it, I was a radical, I would always do one whole week, and everybody else was doing three days, three-day revivals. And so then, after the three-day revival, we really reduced it back down to Magnificent Mondays. Now, here's what I want you to understand, that the time really didn't have a lot to do with it, but the heart, the heart that was being set towards God, God, God moving in a unique way. And so what we want to do through the summer is to set our hearts back towards God, turn our hearts back towards home. You may notice behind me there's a, a map up here. It's a, the city of Alexandria. As you know, as a staff, we have spent a lot of time looking at our city. It's color coded because it looks like uh, it's very mosaic and it's color there behind me. But one of the things I want you to remember is that it looks like our city. Every one of these different color groups represents a different culture group. Where people live a lot of times dictates where they are in the socioeconomical group and where they fall. And, and so we've spent a lot of time because it takes a different strategy to connect. Now it's the same gospel. The gospel is the same. The gospel is the same. Yesterday, and forever, it doesn't change, but strategy many times needs to change. I mean, what works here may not work there. I'll never forget uh, as you begin to connect. You remember last week we looked at that Samaritan woman, why Jesus didn't ride his donkey into Jerusalem was because he wouldn't have been accepted, so he had to figure out a way. I need to go to Samaria, so how do I connect with them? Each one of these different colors represents a different connecting point. In our city, there's roughly about 55,000 people that live in the city limits. Within 10 minutes of this building, there's around 100. And you may remember last week we talked about a bigger number than that. For the people who use Alexandria, the Chamber of Commerce has a number of 150,000 people who drive into Alexandria... And do business. They shop here. They eat here. They go to the hospital here. They work here. And they commute in. So that's within a 30 minute drive time. There is 150,000 people. You may remember that we looked at a number. That 82% of the 150,000 people are unchurched. Out of 150,000 people. Only 130,000. I mean 130,000. Are unchurched. Now, I want to say that again because you may just want to jot that down. Out of 150,000 people within 30 minutes of here, 130,000 are unchurched. I'm telling you today that if there's ever been a time of restoration, if there's ever been a time that we need to be restored back to what God wants us to be, it's today. If there has ever been a time that we need revival, not something predetermined by man, not something set with a beginning date and an end date, but a mighty move of God to usher in, it is today. We need God. Now, I'm telling you today that the thing that's interesting is we. Listen. Eighty-two percent of our population is unchurched. Now, it's not unchurched because we don't have churches. Amen. I mean, there's churches all over the place. There's churches on every corner. There's churches of every flavor, of every variety. Whatever you like, there's a church that fits you. But I am telling you today that church is not the answer. Church is not the answer for what we need. If church was the answer, then it would be 80 percent. Churched and 20% unchurched but it's the opposite because churches cannot bring revival it takes a mighty move of God a supernatural moving and today through the summer we want to lay out the steps that may turn our hearts towards home that we can see a powerful move of God all right there's my introduction you ready let's look over in the book of Ezra chapter 1 Ezra chapter 1, and when you get there, let's back up and read the end of 2nd Chronicles so we can kind of set the stage a little bit, if you will. 2nd Chronicles in chapter 36, the end of 2nd Chronicles, and then the very next page is the beginning of the book of Ezra. In verse 11 through 14, it talks about Zedekiah taking over as king when he was 21 years old, how he didn't humble himself before the Lord, how he stiffened his neck, rebelled against what God was doing. Now, if you look with me in verse 15, it says, "And the word of the Lord," I'm in 2nd Chronicles 36, "and the word of the Lord, God of their fathers, sent warning to them by their messengers." So he sent them warnings. Verse 16, "But they mocked the messenger of God; they despised his word; they scoffed at his prophets until the people till, till his pe- with his people until there was no remedy now verse 17 it says that he raised up the Chaldeans to come against them these men killed their own young men with the sword in their house of the sanctuary of their gods and had no compassion on young men nor on virgins or on the aged or the weak and he gave them over into these wicked hands you may remember i talked about the prophet you remember i said uh, the prophet was crying out. He said, "What God, why don't you do something? And God said, I am. I'm raising up Chaldeans to come in and take over. Now, that's the bad news. The bad news is they never heeded the voice of God. They never turned their heart towards home. They never repented. They never went back. So God raised up this wicked king to come in. Now, you may know this verse because everybody loves to quote it. Jeremiah. I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, to give you a hope and a future. Let me tee this up for you so we can knock it out of here. And everybody loves to quote that. It's on coffee mugs. It's on keychains. It's on uh, wall art. It's on everything you can print it on. But let me give you the context of why God said that. I'm sending you into Babylon in the hand of one of the most brutal kings that has ever lived. He kills his own sons, his own boys, in the name of religion. Defiles their own virgins in the name of religion. And they're wicked and mean to their age in the name of religion. Sound familiar to things in the world today? (coughs) And so in this passage of Scripture, he says they're coming in and taking over. But I want you to build vineyards... Plant vineyards, build houses, get comfortable. You're going to be there a while. Seventy years, you'll be there. But at the end of 70 years, I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. So in the middle of bondage, knowing they were going under the rule of one of the most brutal kings that ever lived up to this point, here's what God says. I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, to give you a hope and a future. Well, it didn't seem like they had a future, and it sure didn't seem very hopeful. Now, here's where we are. So, they've been there for 70 years. Now, guess what happens? The word of God is fulfilled. Look with me, if you would, at verse 22 of 2 Chronicles 36. Now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. That's important that God's word would be fulfilled stirred up the spirit of King Cyrus of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all of his kingdom and put it in writing. Thus says King Cyrus of Persia, all the kingdom of the earth the Lord God of heaven has given me, and he has commanded me to build a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah, who is among you of all the people, May the Lord is God be with him and let him go up. So that the word of the Lord might be fulfilled, here's what God did. Now, Ezra chapter 1, we're finally getting there. It repeats it again. Now in the first year of King Cyrus, here's what it says. The word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of King Cyrus. Underlying that in your Bible. God stirred it up. He set it aflame again and the heart of king cyrus so that he made a proclamation thus saith king cyrus of persia all the kingdoms of the heaven he commanded to build him a house at jerusalem now let me give you one more scripture before i dive off the high board and jump into this isaiah chapter 45 this is cool get this isaiah 45 here's what it says thus saith The Lord to his anointed one to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held to subdue nations. This is important. Subdue nations before him to loosen the armor of kings, to open before him the double doors so that the gates will not be shut. I will go before Cyrus. I will make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of bronze. And cut the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of the darkness. And you can go on. I mean it's just really rich the rest of that chapter. Here's what's important. Over a hundred years before Cyrus was ever born. God told Isaiah. There's going to be a king rise up. Named Cyrus. He's going to rise up. And he's going to bring about the restoration of Israel, stay with me here, this is very important. Over a hundred years before he was ever born, God named him. God named him, he called him by name, and said there's going to be a king Cyrus who raises up. I'm going to raise him up, I'm going to anoint him. I'm going to give him victory over the most brutal, wicked kings in the world. Now, at this particular time when Cyrus became king, He had the largest empire that had ever existed. I mean, the largest empire that had ever existed up to this time. When he took over Babylon, he gained all of the nation of Israel, all their territory. And it was the largest nation, the largest kingdom to ever be. God raised up a young boy to become a man, to become a king, to become a vessel. So today what we want to look at is God's intervention. When God intervenes in a unique way, what God is looking for today in our city is somebody that could be the person. God is looking for a person to rise up, to become that vessel, to become that chosen one. The intervention of God, he intervenes in a person. We looked at before he was ever born, God already intervened in king cyrus i want you to know that a hundred years before you got here god had plans for you you were not an accident you are a possibility you are a providential birth by an almighty god who wants to use you in tremendous ways just like king cyrus the plan was laid out for him and god says here it is here's what i want to do in your life god raised up a man named cyrus Do you know he wasn't even a believer? He he worshipped little gods. But God stirred in his heart. God raised up this man. He intervened. So that he might fulfill the word of Jeremiah. So that to the day of 70 years. When 70 years had passed in Babylonian captivity. God raised up Cyrus. Who said, you know what? Why don't you guys go home and build a temple back to your God? Why don't you go back and restore the temple that Nebuchadnezzar destroyed? You remember we read it right here in 2 Chronicles. At the end of that book it says he came in and destroyed the whole temple, burned it to the ground, desolated the city of Jerusalem, and it was laid waste and barren right there with no hope, with no life in it whatsoever. But when the time had come, God raised up a pagan king who didn't honor him, who didn't worship him, who didn't understand him, and used him as an anointed vessel in a mighty way. I'm telling you today, my brothers and sisters in Christ, what God is looking for is a man and a woman, a boy and a girl who will rise up and be accounted for. When the men won't do it, God can use a boy. When the women won't do it, God can use a boy. I remember one of the greatest stories of faith. When it was in a severe drought, they decided we were going to gather together and pray for rain. And as they gathered together and began to pray for rain out in the middle of a parched field, all of a sudden, all the adults had gathered. But here come one little boy walking to the prayer meeting with his umbrella already hoisted over his head. When they got there, somebody said, lad, what are you doing? He said, well, we're having a prayer meeting to pray for rain, aren't we? Sometimes God wants to use young people. I'm telling you, what God is looking for is somebody to rise up in a politi- politically correct world and live a life victoriously under God. I mean, God looked for a man. The intervention in a man. The intervention of in purpose. How, why was that there? Look at verse 1. It says, the Lord stirred up the spirit. I'm telling you, when God stirs up the spirit of a man, if God be for him, then who in the world can be against him? God raised up a king, a king to come in and overthrow one of the most brutal, wicked kings in all the world so that he could set the children of Israel free and bring about the process of redemption. The process of redemption. God is wanting to redeem, God is wanting to restore, God is wanting to move. This isn't a message of popularity, this is a message of necessity. Listen, we don't need populist preaching, we don't need fancy preaching, we don't need appeasing preaching. We need the word of God to turn our hearts towards home. This city needs home. God, this city needs revival. Big buildings won't bring revival. Desperate people seeking a heart of God will. He intervened in a man, but he intervened in a place. Look in your Bible right here very clearly. Verse 2. Then says Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kingdom of the earth, the Lord God of heaven has given me the command. To build him a house of temple at Jerusalem. At Jerusalem. At Judea. To build him a temple there. The place was there. Listen, the place is already picked out. The place has already been identified. God raised up a man. God identified a place. The place, I'm telling you, God wants to pour his spirit out. He'd already raised up the place. He didn't tell those Jews, hey, you know what? Y'all have been here in captivity for 70 years. Look, I've got this little old parcel of ground over here. Why why don't you just build a temple to your God, Babylon? I mean, it's right down there by this beautiful river bank. Why, Why don't you just build you a temple right there? Matter of fact, I'll give you a couple of hundred acres to join it. Boy, that would have been the easier thing, wouldn't it? I mean, they had been there 70 years. They had houses. They had vineyards. They had businesses. Some had prestige like Nehemiah, who was the cupbearer for the king. Some of them had risen to a level of prominence. Jews always seemed to rise to the level of prominence because of the power and anointing of God upon their life and they had risen to a level of success, wouldn't it have just been easier? But that's not what God said. I want you to go back to the place. I want you to go back to the place. Sometimes God needs to take us back to the place where he began and I want you to know something today. That God is beginning works time and time and time again. And he wants to take us back to the place where we can see the power of God move. He said, you go back to Jerusalem. You go back and begin to rebuild the temple. Verse 3 says, who is among you with all the people. May his God, not my God, may his God be with him. And let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judea. And build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is a God which is in Jerusalem. And whoever is left in any place where he dwells, let the men of his place help him with silver, with gold, with goods, with livestock, besides the free will offerings for the house of God which is in Jerusalem. Look at verse 5. Then the heads of the fathers of the house of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites with whose spirits God had moved upon, there it is, underline that in your Bible, had moved, moved to the Lord, which is in Jerusalem, and all those who were around them encouraged them with articles of silver and gold and goods of livestock, with precious things. Besides all of that, a was willingly giving of offerings, and they offered it to the Lord. So God raised up a man to initiate it. The power of God. Every great revival almost always starts with a man. God identifies a man, he identifies a place, and the place and the man connect with the people. And God begins to stir in those hearts of those people. It says right here, God intervened in the people. In the tribe of Judah, the tribe of Benjamin, the Levites, begin to rise up and say, Let's go back. Let's go back. Let's go back and start over. Let's go back and beg for restoration. Let's go back and see the beginning of the moment of revival breaking out in our hearts, in our lives. See, we think revival comes through politics. We think America's greatest hope is electing the right president getting the right senators and the right representatives listen you may remember back in the early 80s they decided to throw a bunch bunch of them out <laughs> a clean house in the house the house of representatives and the senate and they elected this president named Ronald Reagan it was going to be the greatest hope of America we got the moral majority bless god revivals coming all these preachers gathered up, rallied their courses, and they put Ronald Reagan into office. Revival's got to come. We've got a believer in the White House, a man with moral conviction in the White House. Revival never came. Revival never came. Matter of fact, 80, the 80s was some of the most turbulent times in a lot of denominations of the battle of liberalism. Some won out, some lost. And it was this tumultuous time. And listen, do you ever wonder why everything just swings? I mean, like one election, we're throwing all the Democrats out. It's a swing election. We've never seen anything like this until the next one. And then they're so fed up with them, they come back, they throw all the Democrats out and they elect all Republicans. And then they have them. It's just this whole ticking time bomb. Whole ticking time bomb. And we think, man, that's where our answers got to come from. Our answer will not come from that. Our answer will not come from the the seat of denominationalism. Religion can't bring about restoration. Restoration begins to happen when God's people turn their hearts towards home. Restoration begins to happen when God speaks, people obey. Did Cyrus obey? Yes. The Lord stirred his heart? He obeyed. The Lord stirred the heart of the people of Israel. They obeyed. This summer, would you join us in praying that God would stir our hearts and maybe for the first time in our life, teach us what restoration and the product of revival is really all about. Listen, there's been mighty moves of God. And regardless of what you think about them, Or how you evaluate them. You can't argue that supernatural things happen. That couldn't be explained by divine. I mean by simple humanity. It had to be a divine God. Intervene. But yet. Cities have not been changed. It's been a long time. Since revival broke out. And changed. Cities. I'll never forget when the. Reading about when the women decided to take a journey and travel to Wales and see where the Great Revival was. They found a police officer, and they said, Sir, could you tell us where the Great Revival is? And he said, Right here. He said, Well, I don't see it. He said, Oh, it's right here in this uniform. King Cyrus's heart was stirred up. He released, we'll look at next week, over 42,000 people to go back. Released them. Go back and go home. He released more than that. There's only 42,000 that chose to go. He released the people. He released the place. But he released something else. Let me just show you this in closing. Verse 7. King Cyrus also went and he brought out the articles of the house of the Lord which Nebuchadnezzar had taken from Jerusalem and put in the temple of his little gods. And Cyrus, king of Persia, brought them out by the hand of Meredith, the treasure, and counted them out to Shezbazar, the prince of Judah. This is the number of them, 30 golden platters, 1,000 silver platters, 29 knives, 30 golden basins, 410 silver basins of a similar kind, and 1,000 other articles. All the articles of gold and silver were five thousand four hundred. All these Shesbazar took with the captivities, the captives, who were brought from Babylon to Jerusalem. Not only did he prepare the place and the people, he even prepared he even kept all the sacred things from the original temple. Now that's a lot of money. And he said, I'm going to give it away and let it go. Guys, I'm going to be honest. You ought to be when you're preaching, huh? (laughs) We need to let go. I need to let go and let God. God, stir my heart. Lord, might I be the man Might I be one of the people, might I be one of the 42,000 who will be willing to resist the temptation to go with the flow, rise up, and make a difference because my city is depending on me. Do you realize, guys, 130,000 people are unchurched? 130,000 people unchurched. You say, preacher, that's 30 minutes away. Ain't no way people drive that far to come to church. But we have some people here who can defy those odds. People who live out will drive in. People who live in will not drive out. Because people who live out drive in for everything. So if they drive in to eat a cheeseburger, surely they'll drive in for revival. See, the difference is, take every church building around, and it would not hold the unchurched people if revival really broke out. God's looking for a man. I believe this is the place, the city center of our state, the center of our city, that revival might break out. And may it be said of us that we were found faithful and experienced restoration. What a journey it's going to be this summer as we turn our hearts towards home. With your head bowed, Father, in the name of Jesus, God, may you speak to our hearts. God, may you have your way. May you stir up, Lord, in a special way. Lord, we beg you, God, we need you to move. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.